What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Active Texan Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Watts, your host, and we also have today co-host Allison Watts. What's up, everybody? And we have our special guest today, Chris Field. Welcome to the show. Hey, so good to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I'm excited about this. We've actually had you on our list for a long time. We've been wanting to talk to you, um, have you on the Active Texan. But I just want to give you a little background. Chris actually just came out with his second book called A Billion Hours of Good. And um, we've got a little, just give you a summary of kind of who he is in a nutshell, and then we'll kind of get into some of the details of what makes you who you are and also what kind of active Texan you are. Um, so Chris is an, an award-winning author, speaker, modern-day abolitionist, nonprofit innovator, business consultant, college lecturer, Guinness World Record holder, viral sensation, 25-time marathoner. Is that accurate? 27 now. I thought it might be short. <laughs> 27-time marathoner and ice cream lover. What is your favorite flavor of ice cream? You know, I haven't found anything I like as much as Bluebell's Christmas cookies. That's that was fairly the, new, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was the... That was the viral, we joke about the viral sensation, but it's the most popular ice cream review in the history of the internet when I reviewed Christmas cookies. I don't know if you knew that. It was shared 67,000 times, ended up in the Houston Chronicle, wow. ended up actually the CEO of Bluebell endorsed my first book because of that review, so it's a good story. So I do love ice cream. Running... Running helps me eat lots of ice cream, oh, or yeah. allows me, I should say, to eat more ice cream than I should. I'm right on board with that. You're talking to the right <laughs> yeah. ice cream Perfect. people. <laughs> Outside of this week, I'm totally on board with that. 100%. Oh, yeah. Not having I'm going low on the dairy right now. Good for but, you. But, oh, man, it's hard not yeah, eating I love, ice cream. I love an evening bowl of ice cream. There's not much better than that. I and, agree with that. Yeah. And I'm just getting back to running, too, so i, I got to get a little more running. Yeah, that's right. Belt. Yeah, your, your running has to exceed your ice cream or things get off bad. Absolutely, <laughs> yep. yeah. Those, the scales <laughs> will... Yeah, I hear you. That's that's what a major injury, injury will do to you. You know, kind of sideline you for a bit and you can't run. Yeah. So. But then you eat more cream. because you're stressed about right. the injury. Yeah, Yeah. now I'm having to work extra hard. That's, that's, <laughs> I've been there. I've been there. The vicious cycle. <clears throat> yeah, so um, talking about running, uh, you're a 27-time marathoner, but how about your first marathon? You were 19 years old, and, and why don't you tell us a little bit about how that went, or why you even... Did that in the first place? I mean, who wants to run a marathon at 19? Were you running already? Were you nope. a runner? No, nope. that's a question I ask myself to this very day. Who wants to run a marathon at 19? So there was a girl. There's always a girl. So there was a girl. I was a freshman here at A&M. I liked her. We were interested in each other, but not really dating. She was training for the Austin Marathon. So, because apparently when people are going to run marathons, they train for them. I didn't know that at the time. My dad had been a runner. I'd seen him run as a young kid. I, I joined the cross-country team in seventh grade and then quit after two days because they ran. And that was hard. And so, but this girl, I ran a couple times with her, like around the neighborhood. She happened to live real, like one street over from where I lived in, in college. So I went on a couple like short runs with her, like her her non-long, like three miles, four miles, something. Like it was terrible. I was in the worst shape. I played high school baseball, but I was a, I was pretty thick, lifted a lot of weights. Was the strongest, heaviest I ever been when I graduated high school. Very strong, but also like you know, in high school, that means you're eating lots of food and you're not necessarily fit. You can be strong and not fit, as mm-hmm. you know. So I was the heaviest I'd ever been. Didn't work out in college, just stopped all that completely, but kept eating. But, you know, I can manage three or four miles with this girl. 
So I went down with her to Austin so I could cheer her on for the marathon. Was at dinner the night before with she and her parents. Like, I remember we went to like Macaroni Grill and I was crushing like mashed potatoes with cheese. You know, like just <laughs> terrible. I mean, I was just like, you know, I had this bright idea. I was like, yeah, I'll run a couple miles with you on the race just to like break up the monotony with you. And she's like, oh, that'd be great. And I was like, I'll run the last few miles with you. And I was like, but I don't know if I'm, it's going to be hard to find you. Like, I'll just run the first couple miles with you. So I, I'll never forget. I had on Abercrombie reversible basketball shorts. Down past her knees. Blue and white. Absolutely, yeah. Always wore the blue side. I had on old New Balance shoes that the plastic heel was, at, the plastic in the heel was actually coming out of the heel. And I had on two cotton shirts, a Texas A&M basketball shirt and an Island Party long sleeve shirt because it was cold in Austin in February. That was my that was my gear. So I'm like standing at the starting line. I'm a bandit too, by the way. I didn't register for the race because I wasn't going to run the race. I was going to run five miles with it. And it was like a Sesame Street version of one of these is not like the other. Like everybody's like vaselined up you know running like fancy running shoes actually like singlets and i'm just like legitimately in basketball shorts just like oh, these guys are real serious around here you know so i get so Did i start you know running how long the marathon was yeah i knew because okay. my dad was a pretty serious my dad was a pretty good run like yeah. back in the day he's like a 317 marathoner back in the day in the 80s so i knew like this is a long ways but i wasn't planning to run the marathon so you got a mirror it didn't matter how long yeah. the marathon was i was running five miles max so it's her and a friend. So we're jogging, and I'm like, I'm a, I'm extreme extrovert, and I love some attention. So we're running, and like all these people are cheering. I'm like, hey, you know, like this is kind of cool. Like yeah. this is all right. And the euphoria of the whole thing. I'd never run a race, and it was like all the people and the energy. Like I was just like, this is legit. Like this is freaking awesome. So mile five, I was like, I feel pretty good. Like. I may go a couple more, more miles with you guys. And she, they, she's running 10 minute pace. Her goal was 420. And, and she was like, okay, like you look great. Like you're doing great. And I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Like marathons are fun. <laughs> so we get to like mile seven, eight. And I'm, I'm starting to feel it. Like I'm starting to feel it. the cotton, the basketball shorts, the new balances that, with the heel, plastic heel poking out. I mean, like, this, is, this is getting kind of tough. But I'm like, I'm gonna get to mile 10. And then when I got to mile 10, I was like, I'm going to see if I can go halfway. Like, that would be so legit to run a half marathon with no training. Like, this is crazy. She's like, you're doing awesome. I should be encouraging her. And she's like, encouraging <laughs> yeah. me. And I'm the worst friend ever. So we, I remember this is when the awesome marathon, the half marathon point was like right by the Capitol. And it was like a lot of hills. I am toast when we get to the halfway point. I mean, I am dead. And we come up the big hill to hit the halfway point, and we had a group of our friends, our mutual friends, all our college friends were there. And they were just like mouths on the ground, jaws on the grounds that I had made it halfway. And in this moment of sheer stupidity, I'm like, I'm just gonna finish this thing. Like if they're amazed that I made it halfway, I'm just gonna go the whole way. And that euphoria lasted like 30, 60 seconds. But by then it was too late because they had seen us and jumped in the car. I had no cell phone, I had no money. We'd crossed the half right on pace, 210, and I was a dead man walking, literally just started walking. I was like, you go, I'll catch you at the finish line. That second half was like, 
I mean, I, I, it was so crazy. I feel like I definitely was like seeing things. Like there was like mirages and stuff. And the, the thing I remember so seriously was how freaking hungry I was. Because I had never <laughs> exercised like this yeah. before, and my body was just yeah, I did not carb load, nothing, and it was yeah, I didn't have gels like nothing. So like you know, people were passing stuff out on the side. They're like expecting you to take like an orange slice. I remember eating bacon, those chocolate covered donut, the ones you buy at the gas station. Like I, I remember just and people are probably like, who is this guy? Like who eats this much during a marathon? And it was like people who don't train or bring any gels. So I did the second half of that marathon, and it took me three hours, the second half. If 2.10, first half, we're split to this day. 2.10, first half, three hours, second half. I finished in 5.10. I had thrown away the upper layer by that point. I was literally bleeding because I didn't have Band-Aids or anything on my nipples. Like, just literally blood down my shirt. Oh. Banded the thing. Could not walk. My mom's a nurse. I remember when I got home, I called my parents from the hotel. I'm like, I just ran a marathon. My dad's like, what? <laughs> and he's like, a oh, full marathon? I was like, yeah, you know, that one I was going to run a few miles with Alicia. He's like, what the heck? So I get home. I actually live with my parents. They live here in college. I live with them my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I mean, my mom's just like, go to bed, take this ibuprofen. Just don't get out of bed. Like, just go to bed. Like, you need to sleep. So I woke up the next morning, like, I couldn't couldn't walk. Yeah. Like, I could For not sure. walk. For sure. Uh, my pee was, like, black. I mean, it was, like, <laughs> I was so dehydrated. I mean, it was awful. Like, I probably did legit serious damage to my body. Yeah. But I had class the next day. We had, like, an intramural softball championship yeah. game that night. I was, I was a big baseball player, so I loved intramural yeah. softball. So I'm, like, crushing balls to the outfield and walking to first base. You know, like, it was horrible for, like, two days. But... I was hooked like wow. that euphoria of like man my body is so much stronger than I than I gave it credit for like what if I actually train like what would that mm-hmm. feel like so on a whim I, I entered the lottery for the New York Marathon go big or go home right it's like the story of Chris Field for better or worse got in and then my dad comes out of retirement he's like dude oh. if you're running the New York Marathon like you're not running it by yourself so I had an aunt in New York City uncle and aunt she was big time at Chase, and they were the title sponsor back then. And so my dad calls her, and he's that. like, hey, is there – and she's like, I got you. <laughs> so my dad and I went to New York and ran the New York Marathon. He comes out of retirement. We run the New York City Marathon together. Seems like he wanted to go with you to make sure you didn't do something stupid 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and we had so much fun. Like, just – we were clowning the whole time. Like, it was so much fun. And it was – I mean, the New York City Marathon is just is epic. And it was the first one after 9-11. So they, they had 9-11, they had the marathon two months later, but it was like pretty different because of the security, and we were the first like kind of full one after 9-11, so it's pretty special. Was that your second marathon? That was my second marathon. It was the New York City Marathon. And so what did um, training look like for that one? I actually trained. So my dad was in charge. Like my dad, you know, printed out a training plan. Like I said, he'd been pretty serious. He was in the Marines. He was a pretty good runner back in his day. I always had a lifetime goal to beat my dad's you know, marathon time because it was, I was always like, so impressed with that. So I ran like a 4.15 or something like that in New York. Took about an hour off my time. But you know, there's not many, f- I was a sophomore in college spending my, I ran in the evenings back then, which is crazy because now absolutely no chance I could run in the evenings with my long runs. But I remember I would like listen to football games on the radio while I ran. <laughs> like, I had this memory. I would go watch. I would go to the, as many AM football games as I could because I was a student. But I remember, like, listening to Texas play New York. I mean, uh, North Carolina. 
like some it was a big it was when North Carolina was kind of highly rated and Texas was doing well back then and I remember it was like what a weird you know just this memory it says yeah. I'm just like 20 mile run around college station at 8 p.m. on a Saturday night as a With college student yeah listening <laughs> to a football game so crazy so I, yeah so I mean I trained pretty well you know relative yeah. I, I wore uh, Nike Air shocks <laughs> Yeah, I remember, which is like then. very popular, not but probably not the best shoe for <laughs> marathons. But I sure wore that thing. <laughs> so that was that was my intro into running, and I, that for that was it. I was hooked. I ran six or seven during college. Oh wow! And then just kind of carried it on from there. And what's your PR at this point? Three oh seven. So you got your dad. I did. Did you qualify for Boston? I or? did not. I was a little yes. too young. So I was my Boston time was three oh five, and I ran a three oh seven. I, I know. So, but that was big for me. So, I, about five years ago, six years ago, I ran a terrible marathon for me. Didn't work hard, didn't train well, it was hot, it was miserable, didn't run well. And I told my wife, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with marathons. I was like 18, 19 marathons in. I'd run a streak. It's been a really busy season of life between starting Mercy Project, starting the BCS marathon. We had four kids. It was just like, I'd started a couple side hustles. It was just like, all right, like I was just running to finish. And I was, I kind of, that had lost its luster, like just jogging marathons. For me at that season of my life was just like, I did that. It's not fun anymore. And I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to go do ultras and just do long distance, slower, slow down, but run further. And she was like, man, I think you're going to regret that. And I was like, and she's not a runner at all. She hates running. And I was like, what do you mean? Because you're, like, you're still running. Yeah. yeah. What, what and she's like, that? you're going to regret, you're going to look back, I think you're going to look back and wish you had really grinded and, and tried to get as fast as you could. Mm. She's like, you never quite, like, she's like, you know, you've worked hard, but you've never quite, like, gone for it like you did other stuff in your life. Mm. And I was like, why would you say that? I was like, you have the most to lose. Like, you're going to be the one stuck at home with the kids on Saturdays. Like, you're going to be the one who's nursing me back to health and listening to me be freaking out over little nagging injuries. And, you know, and I was like, and she was like, I just know you. And I, I think you're going to regret this. So I hired a coach and just got after it. Lost 15 pounds, really focused on my nutrition, just hustled. And she was, she was right. I mean, that five years, I went from 430 to 307 and just really like tried to, you know, be, be as fast as I could and not just finish marathons, but like really do my best. And, um, and I'm so grateful she said that. I mean, that was, and it was, it was, it was not a fast process. I mean, five years, 2000 miles a year. Just, you know, I, I took that. I mean, it was very incremental. I mean, it was 430. 341, 3.32, back up to 3.39, breakthrough at 3.15, 3.07. And it was just, it was like, I mean, I trained a whole year to knock out five miles. It was at the Woodlands in March of 2020, right before COVID. Okay. So there was, I remember they had hand sanitizer on the hostess booth when you walked in. And we were that was like, like one of the last races. Yeah, and we were like, this is kind of get, like, are people going to freak out about this? You know, like, yeah. that's weird. No like, they're like, yet. please use yeah. your hand sanitizer before you sit down. And we're like, okay, you know, like, and then it was two weeks later, the whole world just completely shut down. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I like so the origin of this. A lot of people you talk to about running, they 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 kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> At first, yeah, and they get hooked that way because it's like they enjoy it. They do it because it's a release. That's to them. right. Um, maybe they don't start when they're a teenager, right? But, um, when they're in their twenties. But you're kind of like, I mean, I, I'm similar to you, where it's like I, I wanted only time I wanted to run the long ways is if I was playing a sport. Yeah, like soccer. So I, I played soccer and I loved running on the soccer field. Wore myself out on the soccer field. Right. But then I started running cross country, and I was like, I, I didn't quit after two days yeah. because I was a senior in high school, but. I wanted to. Right. But it was only because of my friends. Yeah. Like, I was chasing my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, yeah, I'm running with these guys. Right. I love hanging out with them. Right. And so I did that and to get in shape for soccer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then it, was, it wasn't It was until, um, for me, it's a little bit different. I mean, it, it took a lot longer. I went through a period of not running at all. Yeah. And really hating it when I did because it felt so terrible because I never did it. Yeah. Um, and not that I was... I just wasn't in good shape. You know, right. I wasn't, you know, same kind of situation having kids and like you stopped training. Um, well, you didn't do that, but <laughs> I did. Trained and, less, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it wasn't until, you know, later. But that, but I like that how you, you know, you initially didn't like it. Yep. But then something triggered in you. And I think part of that is um, I've heard stories like this before from people like David Goggins, who wrote the book Can't Hurt Me, yep. that you just, it's, it's like you, you got to feel you want to know what that suffering feels like. Yeah. And it's it's kind of weird yeah. when I say that out loud, but you want to you want to feel that pain and see what you can do with it. Yeah. And that's what you experienced on the in your first marathon yeah. is you basically ran broken. Yeah. <laughs> you broke 100%. yourself down and totally. then you broke and you ran on that broken right. body for the next half marathon. Yeah. Um but you were still you were still hooked. Right. So there's it's like there's some kind of connection like between I mean, it's psychological and something that releases in our brain from that euphoria feeling that you get, even temporarily, with even if it's just a few minutes right. or a few miles. But then you still come back to it, still come back to it. And for you, you just you 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 went straight back to it right away. You know, I think I talk in the book about doing hard things, and I don't yeah. I don't I don't harp on running because most of my audience wouldn't necessarily be able to relate to that, and so I tried to stick to more generic you know parts of that, but. For me, running really is one of those, like, in our culture with so many comforts, we really don't know how to do hard things anymore. Like, we've, it's, a, it's a complete lost art. Our whole lives, and I'm, don't mishear me, I'm guilty. I mean, I literally have a pair of UGG house shoes that I walk around in my house with because, like, I want to be comfortable. Like, I, I don't not use my AC. Like, I don't take cold showers. Like, I want to be comfortable too. We're sitting in air conditioning today on purpose, right? But in doing that, in insulating ourselves with those comforts, we've lost this ability to do hard things. And for generations before us, it wasn't optional. You didn't get to choose like, do I? I don't know if I feel like working hard. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, not today. Like, I'll, I'll pay someone to do that. Like, that wasn't even a thing. It was like, you did what you had to do to survive. And so I think we've lost touch, and, and I think that's come at a great cost, that we don't really have any idea what we're capable of. And for me, I, I mentally, I chased after these big, crazy, audacious dreams, and I loved how that felt. But physically, I was like, I'd never scratched the surface. You know, and even when I like look back, I mean, I always, even when I was a kid, I would like have these conversations. I loved baseball. I was a huge baseball kid. 
and I was a decent baseball player. And I remember I would like have these conversations with my dad, like, Dad, what do you think? Like, what if you had a kid who was like average at baseball, but all he did was baseball? You know, like every day he took a thousand reps off the tee. And every day he just like took grounders, like, you know, for an hour, like, do you think that kid would be awesome? Even if he wasn't that awesome, like, you know, and my dad's kind of like, I don't know, you know, like no one really does that. And it was like, I didn't have the guts or the know-how or whatever to, to be that kid, but I was already curious, like, could an okay person be great if they made themselves great? Like, it was already like, I didn't have the language for that, but I was like, I remember those conversations with my dad. And then it was like, I realized, like, I think the answer to that is yes. Like, I do not think I'm a good runner. Like, if you're, like, if you put a gun to my coach's head, and my coach was a, he's here in town, Andrew Middleton. He was a professional runner. He's a lawyer now in town. Great guy. But he ran All-American at UT. He was, like, ran a 104 half marathon as a pro out of college. I mean, he was legit. Like, legit, 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 legit. Sub 14, 5K. I mean, real deal. And I think if you put a gun to your head, to his head and you said, Andrew, like, is Chris, how talented is Chris? Like, like natural talent. I think he would say he's average at best. Like, he, he works hard to get out of, like, a lot of people would be way faster than me with the work that I've put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but, he went five years of... Yeah, 2, of 2,000 miles, miles a year. Like, there's lots of people who run faster than me when they do that. Yeah. But like, that's what was so fun for me. It was like, I was just a dude. And if just a dude with tons of constraints can run a 307, which is top 3% of all runners, then you can too. Yeah. But I think we, just, we like look and we go like, oh, well, he's, he's a super runner. Like, no, he's just a dude who showed up six out of seven days a week for five years. And I don't care. You pick the thing. Podcasting, writing a book, parenting, starting a business. Pick the thing. You show up an hour a day, six out of seven days a week in the dark by yourself, rain, shine, heat, five years, you're going to be the best top 3% at it. Yeah. Pick the thing. Math, I don't give a crap what it is. You'll be better than everybody else because no one else does that yeah. at anything. And you make a big point of that in this your most recent book yeah. of showing up. Yeah. Like there's a whole chapter on showing up. There's 100%. a whole chapter on doing hard things. Yep. And when you combine that whole first section of your book, yeah. you combine all those things, having courage, yeah. um, passion, what is it? Right. Splanknees. Yeah, splanknizomai. Splanknizomai. Yeah, that funny Greek word. <laughs> the Greek word. Yeah. Um, then that's, you being average at best, yeah. anybody, or even below average, that's I think. That's right. Absolutely. And if you work you're going to reap the benefits yeah. and there's, you know, eventually top 3%. I yeah. Mean, you, you say this in your book a lot as well about, you know, you're telling it, saying all these things and it almost looks like this is like this perfect person yeah. who's good at everything. Right. But then you keep saying, look, I'm not good at everything. Right. No way. Yeah. <laughs> this is also me. This is what I did. This is how I got through this. Yeah. This is what I did to show up, what I did to do hard things. And <coughs> so you're, you're proof. I mean that, I'm not saying this in a bad way. That no. Average at best can be top 3%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, that, like, that's part of what I think makes this story so fascinating. Is like I, I was 40th percentile of my high school class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 
no one in high school was like, oh, he's going to do X, Y, Z. You were in trouble a lot. Absolutely. I was a total punk kid. And there's no one who looked at me and was like, oh, I bet he's going to start these nonprofits. I bet he's going to write, you know, best-selling books. Like, I was just a dude. And then that, that switch got flipped for me in my freshman year of college. Where I was like, wait, what if I tried to be great? Like, what does it even mean to be to try to be great? Like, what does that even look like? And, and then I just went on that journey of not settling for mediocrity, not sort of taking any answer at face value. And somebody said, well, that's just the way it is. Like, I was like, I was always, I became like really curious. Like, why is that the way it is? What would it look like if it wasn't that way? And I didn't have the language for it, but, but my whole passion around disruption is like, I became a disruptor. Like when I was 19, I just started disrupting. So, oh, you know, I ran for mayor of College Station when I was 19 years old. It was like... People are like, oh, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? When you're in college? Yeah, I was a freshman in college. People are like, why? You can't do that. I'm like, why? I'm like, I don't know. Probably there's some rule. Like, well, I don't know. Like, what's the rule? You know, it's like I march down to City Hall and I'm like, how do you run for mayor? Yeah. And I'm like, how do you run for mayor? And they're like, you sign up. And I'm like, cool. I'll sign up. She's like, well, you have to have a campaign treasurer. And I'm like, my friend Tristan's good with money. He'll be my campaign treasurer. She's like, do you want to tell him? I'm like, I don't have a phone to call him. I'll tell him later. <laughs> she's like, okay. And I'll never forget. She's like, why don't you just run for council? Start with council. And I'm like, nah. <laughs> I want to do mayor. Yeah. And she's like, go, baby, go. <laughs> she's not happy. She's not happy. And that's how not your, happy. your first book is called Disrupt, Disrupting for Good. Yeah. And it spurred out of a friend of mine, a guy here in town, Chris White, the flipping group. He emailed me one day and he's like, hey, I just saw that the University of Southern California has a new degree. It's a bachelor's degree in disruption. And when I read about it, I immediately thought of you. And he's like, I know you're not going to go back to college, but I just, you were the first. And I was like, oh, like that's what I've been doing all these years. Like, Everybody should minor in that. I've been, yeah, I know. I was like, that's what I've been doing. I've been disrupting. Like that's so cool. And it just, it felt, I, there was this power. Like It felt like it gave me freedom to like I had a name for what I'd been doing like I, I never really fit in as an adult even like I was always I felt like like people weren't rude to me but it was just like oh Chris like he does he does these crazy things like oh he's always doing these crazy Guinness World Records and he's starting this nonprofit. and it's like uh you know I, was like, I never quite felt like I fit in I didn't have language for like why do I keep doing this? Like, what is it about me that always wants more than what I is? Like, is it discontentment? Like, am I searching for something? Am I not happy? Am I not satisfied? And it was like, no, I'm a disruptor. Like, the status quo is not okay for me. Like, when somebody's like, well, that's that's how we do things. I'm like, well, what if we could do it better? Like, yeah. what if we could do it different, you know? And so that really, I felt like I had a lot of freedom in, in being named. It was like, that's me. Like, that like that's who I am like okay like and it's a positive thing it's not a negative thing do you think that that's something that um it's just who someone is or who they are or is that something also that can be changed kind of like the question that I've heard come up with my business mentor even on his podcast is about entrepreneurship and an entrepreneur right um uh, is an entrepreneur entrepreneur made or born or made or both. Yeah, and the answer is yes. It's yeah, an and, and I born think made, yeah. entrepreneurs that are born, they would say born. Yeah. And the ones that are made, I'm I'm made an yeah, entrepreneur. Sure. I was not born an entrepreneur. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so I would say, no, they can be made. So, But that's kind of like the disrupting, I mean, yeah. a disruptor. 
it's not that you want to make everybody kind of this extreme right disruptor i don't think that's a good thing no but um is that something kind of like entrepreneurship i think so i think there's probably some of us that are more inclined if we look back at our childhoods that we were more willing to kind of jump in the fray and mix it up versus some people who would like even my wife who would sort of sink back and just would rather play like not be noticed like just do her thing and not you know like let me just do my thing i don't need anything but i also think there are seasons where you need to be like every person needs to be disruptive i mean i gave a keynote speech yesterday in conroe where it was like you know the whole thing about disrupting is finding those truths that make you uncomfortable and those can be personal truths like this have to be on a global scale doesn't have to mean you run marathons doesn't have to mean you try to set world records for fun like it can just be that in your own life there are things every one of us has things that need to be disrupted like things that we've let paths that we've let become roads to quote from a song that i like that we didn't intend for them to be what they've become and when we're honest, which we're terrible at being with ourselves, and when we're reflective, which we're terrible at doing, we go, gosh, I don't like this part of me. Like, I don't like what my family, like, I had these goals for how I'd raise my children, and I'm not doing that. Or I had my, these goals for how we would give back with philanthropy, and we're not really doing that. And I had these goals for who I would be as a human, as a business leader, or even just as a husband and wife. Like, this isn't what I thought I would be. And a lot of times we just go like, well, I mean, what can you do? And it's like, no, like stop. Like, like that's a thing. Mm. Pause on that thing and say, wait, what would it look like if I didn't do this thing anymore? Don't, don't blow past that. Like sometimes our marriages need to be disrupted. Like the way we treat one another, spouses treat one another, the way we, we're not seeing each other, the way we're not dating each other, the way we're not chasing each other anymore, the way we're not delighting in the other person the way we did when we were dating, the way even parenting, we can just become so monotonous where it's like, gosh, I had these core values. I wanted my children to be compassionate global citizens who cared more about our little family. What happened? You know, like how, like how do we just fall into this mundane where we're like, we're like every other family. And it's not, I'm not, it's not a knock on other families, but like a lot of us, like that's not, we didn't want to fall into that trap. And then we just sort of shrug our shoulders. Like, well, I mean life. And it's like, no, like you're not a spec, you're not watching. You're playing. You're not a spectator. You're a you're a you're a player on the field, right? Yeah. You're not like one of the eleven players. Like, gosh, that guy's good when he runs the ball. Someone should tackle him. Like, you should tackle him. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're on the field, you, you know. And so, I, I think so. For me, disruption is like it's not negotiable. Like, if we're honest, we all have things that we're like this isn't okay. Like the way we're fill in the blank, the way I eat. The way I sleep, the way I give myself self-care, the way I treat other people, the way I give, my values, my North Star, my family, my relationship. I don't know what it is, but th those things aren't happening to us. They're happening with us. Mm -hmm. And so for me, obviously you can hear just in the way my voice changed, like disruption is really not optional to me. Like it's, it's, a, it's a hard non-negotiable that if we really want to live our into our very best version of ourselves, which I think we all should, and you don't need to be like me and I don't need to be like you, but I think we all want to be the best version of ourselves, then some stuff's ha gonna have to get disrupted. Like it's not optional or else we're just gonna float along and let everybody else dictate who yeah. we are and what we do. And I, think, 
and then that's where regrets are built on. Hundred percent. Yeah, and I think there's opportunities every day. Yeah. Like, and the thing is, we just let opportunity pass by until someone disrupts, maybe, yeah. or sure, you read a book or you see something on social media, a little quote. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. You know, maybe I could do something about that. Or the the whole premise of us starting our business was. We don't agree with the way things are happening in physical therapy yeah. that way, so let's do it different. Right. And I didn't think there was a different way right. until I started opening up to yeah, different that's ways. that's right. And then realizing, yes, that resonated with me. That's what I want to do. Same yeah. thing in marriage, day-to-day, parenting. Yeah. There's there's, opportun- there's tons of opportunities. 100%. And, and I love how, like, especially in this book, the one, Billion Hours of Good, I haven't read the other one, but it just it brings all that to light. Like you said kind of before we started this, that... It's a, a way of voicing what a lot of us may be thinking or going through, and books can do that. I mean, that's what a gift you have as an author to be able to speak that into someone's life, and it changes them because they have a realization that yes, this needs to be disrupted. This needs to be changed. I should be a disruptor here. I should step back here. Yeah. Because um, for me, like me and my wife, our relationships, like she's very introverted. I'm also introverted, but I'm extroverted on the inside. Yeah. But introverted more on the outside. It's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> Right? I mean, when you say I mean, that? you're more like Chris in general. I'm, I sound a lot like your wife. Stay, but stay I have a lot right. of thoughts that I don't voice. Right. Sure. You'll say them to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be dis- disruptive or right. more extrovert. Right. Know, as an extrovert. Yeah. I have these feelings, but I hold them in and yeah. hold them back. Um, but I think, you know, but that's besides the point. This, you know, things in like your book, and then I want to talk a little bit about Mercy Project, BCS Marathon. Where are these things like? How can we kind of pull these out of ourselves? Of you know, this is something that we can give back to because we're passionate about it, or give our give fourteen minutes a day to you know where it eventually adds up to one hundred fourteen thousand years. Right. You know, good in the world. Yep. So, um, may, I don't know which one came first for you, BCS Marathon or Mercy, Mercy Project. Project? Yeah, and then I started the marathon to help fund Mercy Project. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was your that was. Why you started the marathon? It was, yeah, there needed to absolutely. be a, a funnel, a way, yep. a channel uh, yep. to to bring funding so that you can carry out what's happening with Mercy Project in Ghana. Yeah. Um, so I, I like the story about how that 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 was because you're a disruptor and you're extrovert. Yeah. <laughs> you read a book. Yep. About some child trafficking. About child trafficking. Yeah. And we were pregnant with our first baby and had already been praying over my wife's belly that this little girl, Micah, whom um, you guys know about, you know, we already knew she was gonna be a little girl. We already knew we were gonna name her Micah. And we were already like, literally every day, we were just like praying that this little girl would be a woman of justice and mercy, like just that her life would be marked. And when she saw something that was wrong, she would be responsive and that she would she would right the wrong, like that, that her life would be marked by that. We just felt really strongly about that. And, I, and then, walk, I mean, we're like praying this over this baby and then I'm reading about children who are trafficked into the fishing industry. And I'm like, what, what a contrast of the, the lives of these two, mm-hmm. you know, both precious, valuable, people human beings equal equally valuable equally cared for equally loved equally worthy and yet Micah's going to have the world as her oyster and these kids are working 14 hours a day it's like that contrast was so stark to me so i googled the author of that book found her phone number called her asked her if i could go to ghana with her three months later i showed up in ghana i'd never met her met her at the airport in new york city 
And we went to Ghana, went out on the world's largest man-made lake and started meeting these kids who'd been trafficked in the fishing industry and came home from that and just wept, sat on our couch in Dallas where I was pastoring a church and just wept. And Stacy, my wife, was pregnant, sitting there and just like, I mean, we were just crushed by that reality. And I just like, we have to do something. Like, we can't just know this is happening and not do something. And it always bothered me, like, if I was honest, like when I was a kid, surrounded by really good, kind-hearted people in my family and acquaintances, people I grew up going to church with, and just the adults in my life were good people. But when you, tur- when you turn to conversations like civil rights and things that now are like so obviously blatantly wrong, and you're like, hey, what did like, what'd you guys do when that was happening? It's like, well, I mean, like back then, I mean, everyone just sort of, that's the way it was. Like, that always just like bugged the heck at me. Like, what is that thing today? Like, what's that thing that people are going to be like, wait, like our kids are going to be like, hold on, <laughs> hold on, mom and dad. Like there's the gonna way, be, there's going to be a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and the way that our, the way that I'm like, when you saw a water fountain that was like white in color, were you just like, no big deal? Like, did that bother you? Like, yeah. is that along the same lines as yeah. what you're talking about in your book with the table and the wall? Yeah. And the wall turning into yeah, a table, totally. like, up a chair. Yeah. Even just the way that I think our kids are going to be like. You know, when there was all this divisiveness, like, what did you do? Like, how did you go out of your way to bring people together? Like, at this time when people were so divisive, you know? And, but I'm like, man, my kids are going to ask me one day, like, what did you do when you knew kids were being sold into slavery? Like, and I don't know that I'm going to be able to answer that question with like, oh, I saw it back, especially back then, like, oh, I solved the problem, kids. Of course, like, I, I probably that's not going to be my answer. But I at least want to not have to look away when they ask me that question. Like, I at least want to be able to look them in the eye and say, hey, here's what I tried. I I didn't do everything, but I tried something. And so that was the catalyst for starting Mercy Project. Nine months after that first trip to Ghana, I quit my job as a pastor of the church. And we launched Mercy Project, and the rest is history. We went into Ghana, and for like the first year or two years, it was only me traveling back and forth every six weeks, which is insane. And just listening, trying to understand the problem, trying to understand the root cause so we could not just treat the symptoms just like you guys mm-hmm. in PT, like really get out why is this thing. Nobody was really doing that. And, and then we really, I mean, things ramped up, and we started, we taught the started teaching the fishermen how to use aquaculture or cage fishing so that it actually was they made less money using the kids than they would using our cages and once they did that they were like well why would we use the kids and we're like right that that's why we taught you this and they're well we're we're happy to send the kids home now that you've taught us a new new way to do this so then they and then they become part of the solution instead of part of the problem because 75% 75% of the traffickers in Ghana were actually traffic kids themselves. So it's like they're doing what they know to do. It's just this vicious. They're not, they're not bad like guys. They're kids. not the enemy. Like poverty is the enemy. Lack of opportunity is the enemy. And so once we invite them on this journey to become part of the solution with us instead of treating them like the enemy, then they become partners with us. And they become advocates and they become champions of freedom along with us. And... Yeah, so to date, we've rescued and reintegrated 201 kids uh, back into their families. And all those kids are in school and, you know, gonna most of them by far have already exceeded any level of education their parents have had. Some of them are like teaching their parents how to read and teaching their parents the alphabet and how to write their own names. And 
so it's cool. So we have a great staff in Ghana, 15 Ghanaians, and uh, they do an amazing job. So three, three staff here in the U.S., 15 in Ghana. And then about just a few, three, two months after I started Mercy Project, we, we moved to Colization, and I started the, the first turkey trot there was no turkey trot in town and I was like oh we should do this 5k I better raise some money for Mercy Project and it was totally bootleg I had no idea what I was doing my grandma's like writing down people didn't even have bib numbers they like had we handed them popsicle sticks at the end with a number on it my grandma she's like 75 years old she's like, <laughs> she's like writing down I gave a frozen turkey to the winner there was a, a man named German man named Jan who I called out Jan as the female mm. overall winner. I mean, oh, the whole thing was just a disaster. Yeah. And yet we had 400 people show up and they were like, this is awesome. Our town needs more stuff like this. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I, mean, I saw that, that shows yeah. you, you don't need to have things in place no. to start. Like no, that, no, no, no. so many people hundred percent that or wait until everything's I'm not ready to have kids. That's right. Like, I, I need Nobody's ready to have kids. Yeah, stuff it. like that. But I'm not, you know, yeah. you, you needed a way to totally. help Mercy Project. Yeah. And you just, you like running. And then that went so well, we started the marathon. I saw on a message board people were asking why Brian Colization doesn't have a marathon. And I was like, that's a great question. I should do that. I did okay on the turkey drop. I'm a marathoner. I have run some big marathons. Like, let's do it. So I just like called a meeting, showed up in the city of Brian with city of Brian, city of Colization, Texas A&M. Text dot like all these players and they were like thank god i had no idea how intimidated i should have been yeah and 27 and apparently there have been people tried to start a marathon a couple times they can never get people on board but i didn't know any of that mm-hmm. i just like walk in i'm like thanks everybody for being here great to be here i'm chris field yeah. i don't know any of you but thank you for being here and uh here's my proposed route for the marathon and they're all like and it just like it, yeah, it erupts yeah. in chaos because they're like destroy everyone like, he can't go here and like well he's not coming over here like, rah, 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 rah. Wow. and I'm just like oh boy what <laughs> and they all get quiet and I'm like I think we're going to figure this out thank you all for your <laughs> energy for your enthusiasm like I couldn't imagine a better team than all of you <laughs> yeah. and they're just like this fool you know yeah. but they did it like they bought in like they they felt like you know I, one, I quote in the book there's a lady from Texas A&M that was part of um, transportation who's not notorious they've not notoriously been like super friendly towards new events kind of been more of a no organization than a yes organization and I went back to her I know her now and I went back and I said tell me what you remember from that first meeting I said because I don't remember any I'm just curious what your impression was she's like my impression was you had no idea what you were doing but you were going to figure it out and she said I went back to our team and they go well you think it'll happen and she was like this guy's going to pull it off wow. she was like he's committed like you can tell he has no idea what he's doing he's going to need help yeah. Yeah. but he's a, I think he's going to actually see it through and they were like really you know and she was like yeah like I, it's crazy but i actually think it's gonna happen and i was like that's awesome like i love that that's what she saw because that's exactly what was right i had no idea what i was doing but i was a hundred percent sure we were gonna figure it out and we did and and the marathon today is not that first marathon and i would never do it again like the first marathon i, was t- I made a hundred mistakes but there wouldn't be a tenth year this year if there hadn't been a first year and a lot of us want to jump to the 10th year without mm. the first year. Right. And that's not the way steps work. That's not the way stairs work. Like, you got to start moving 
if you're going to get down the road. And I think that fear of failing, I think that fear of chaos, I think that fear of not knowing that keeps so many of us from starting things that we we know we want. We want them badly. And we have to want we have to want it more than we are scared of failing. And we have to let I say in the first book, it's the most underlined line in the first book. Um, it's a cool part about having paperback and Kindle is that you can look on Kindle at what people highlighted oh, just really? to see like what's resonating with them. You know, like any Kindle user, right? Can you look at highlights in a book? But like as the author, it's like, oh, I wonder what resonates. I wrote 35,000 words. I wonder what people like the best. And there's a line that says, um, my life was changed forever when my desire to do great things outgrew my fear of failure. And you, yeah, you quoted that yeah, in this book. Yeah, exactly. Too, right? and, and for me, that was the turning point when I was like, man, I got one shot to do this. And if I'm going to do it big, like if I'm going to run my best marathon, I'm probably going to get hurt. I'm, I'm going to have to go to the line. I'm going to have to go to the edge of the cliff and see, look over because right now I have no idea where that cliff is. And the only way to find out is to go there. And if I'm going to be great, I'm going to have to, to I'm going to have to try to be great, and that probably means I'm going to fall down a few times. Yeah. But 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 the cost of not being great, the cost of getting to the end of my life and having those regrets of saying like, gosh, I never really went for it. Like I I lived the life people told me I should live. I did the things other people said I should do. Like the weight of that, I can't do that. Like I rather fail today then live with regret in a rocking chair someday on a front porch. Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, I've just tried, I'm not always successful. I mean, there's tons of failures. My wife and I thought about starting a school a couple of years ago and that fell apart. Like there's been, there's been a number of things that weren't great, like tons, but I wouldn't have experienced any of the successes I've had if I hadn't also had some of those failures along the way. And so yeah. those, those failures are our best teachers and they shape us and form us, um, but they're usually not the stories that make the books. Yeah. So people don't see those, and so they just assume, you know. And I hate that. I hate that. That's the perception. Is, well, you make that point yeah. in the book. Hundred percent about uh, the fear of failure and yeah. You you, you harp on that. That it's, I try. Like, Look, I failed a lot. Yeah, I think I've it's tried critical. A lot of things. Can't yeah. list them all here, of course. But, yeah. And then you listed four big ones. Yeah. That people that everyone knows about. Yeah. Eventually, they're very successful. Yeah. I feel like the failure part is, it's like there's the fear of doing a hard thing from the start. Right. But when we start to fear the failures and overcoming those failures, it's almost like that's even bigger. Yeah. Like how to pick yourself up after you've failed at something that you're passionate about. Yep. Is the hardest part. Yeah. Almost. It's like we can start a business, but if the day we do something really wrong, it's about that moment that's almost more important. Like, are you going to stop? Or yeah. are you going to pick yourself up and learn from it? Right. And to really do the hard thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can apply that to anything, you know, mm-hmm. business, Absolutely. parenting. For you, it's running. I mean, it was running at the beginning, marathons. But, you know, there's triathletes, there's CrossFitters doing 100%. their first competition probably this weekend at yep. the PCS Classic, yep. very first one. I did that two years ago, never had done it. It was super uncomfortable. Yeah. And,. <laughs> We got second. Yeah. Because <laughs> I worked my yeah. butt off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we can apply that to anything. I mean, that's that's what I, we, we want our listeners to get from this is that, yes, you're talking about some specific things, but you can apply it to whatever it is you're trying to do. Maybe it's education, higher education. Uh, maybe it is something 
active, you know, something that you want to be better at yep. or maybe most likely haven't found the most out of what you can get out of something. Yep. So, yeah, I love the idea that anybody listening can find that uncomfortable truth. And even if I think that's what's so beautiful about it is that it is such an individual journey that for someone listening, it, it might literally be they've been scared to sign up for their first 5K because they don't want to be last. Like, and so they've just like, they've not done it. And it's like, every race has someone that's last. And like, as a race direct now, we've hosted, we have a bunch, we have a whole series of races. I mean, I guess, gosh, 10 years, we've probably hosted more than 50 races, 30, 40,000 finishers. Like, people at the back are some of my very favorite people because they're working harder than the people at the front in many cases. And, and They've, they've overcome some skeletons in the closet that like a lot of the people at the front never had to overcome. And, but then for somebody else, it's like they're where I was sitting on that. They've done okay, but never really pushed themselves to like, hey, what would it look like if I strung together four months of like really focused dialing in my nutrition, dialing in my training, right? Like it's, it's just so cool that those two people can get the same message, which is, what is greatness like for you? Like, what is what it? What does it look like again to be your very best self? And that might literally be, I'm gonna walk a block. Like, I'm gonna walk the block around my house every night. And like, for for someone listening, like that might be the bravest, most courageous thing that they could possibly do. And I love that. Like, do it. Do that brave thing. Like wave to the neighbors who've never seen you. Like you, you feel uncomfortable wearing shorts because you like to hide your leg. Like you don't like being out of breath. Like whatever that thing is, it like that that that's so beautiful for you to say. Like that is my hard thing. Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody else who's like, I want to see if I can break 15 minutes in the 5K. Like see if I can beat my old times from college. Like and that's really brave too. It's like to go back and try to be something you used to be and rebuild yourself, right? Like those things are on opposite ends of the spectrum, it seems like, but they're really not. The exact same sort of courage is required for both of those things. And I just, I think it's really cool, man, to like, to, to own our own truths, to embrace our own realities, to embrace our own courage, and then to show up every day and to, to do something that makes us uncomfortable and to do something that feels hard and cooking, the way we function during the day, the way we speak to one another, saying I'm sorry. A lot of the stuff I cover in my book, right? Going to somebody you've harmed and, and swallowing your pride, not speaking that unkind word, sending that text of encouragement to somebody even though it feels uncomfortable. You know, it's like, oh, this is out of the blue, or gosh, I missed their birthday three days ago. Now I feel weird. It's like, send them the text and say, I'm so sorry I missed the birthday, right? Like, I'm sorry, I'm a crappy friend. Let's or, go or get a brother. drink. I did yeah, my sister this month. Yeah, I'm a crap. I'm a crabby brother. I owe you one. You know, and that's like, but just own that, right? Just own that thing instead of like letting that fleeting, like, well, gosh, if I draw attention to it now, it's like, just own it. Like, just like let's just own those things that make us uncomfortable and, and they, they keep us from being our very best selves. Because man, what a world it would be if we all owned those things and we all functioned as our at the best version go to a therapist like if that's what you need like i'm seeing a therapist right now for the first time in my life for some stuff uh, when i was a kid and like it's it's kind of sucky but it's also like really good mm-hmm. and it's like just like 
who do you want to be? Like at your very, very, very best, laying in bed, trying to fall asleep, like that version of yourself that you're really not sure is possible. Like you can be that person, but it's not going to happen accidentally. You're not going to roll out of bed the next morning and because you thought about it, you became that person. It's going to take hard work and it's going to be messy and it's going to suck and you're going to fall down and you get to get back up again. Yeah. And and honestly, most of us are so self-absorbed. 99% of people are never going to even realize you fell down. Because <laughs> we true. think, it's like we were like, I wonder if people are going to remember I wore this shirt. Like nobody remembers what shirt you wore. <laughs> nobody cares what freaking, you're not Kim Kardashian in the, in the, in the <laughs> like people are taking your picture everywhere you go. Like nobody knows what shirt you wore. Nobody cares about, nobody cares more about our hopes and dreams than we do. And they never will. And so it's like, go do the thing you want. And like, stop worrying so much about what everybody else thinks. Let everybody else be on their own journey. And stop letting other people's concerns and feedback dictate your life. So I hope people listening will, will hear that message. And I hope they'll feel inspired to, yeah. to be their very best version of themselves. And the same for those that read the book, Billion, Billion Hours of Good. Because that's how you accomplish it. That's a lot of good. It's yeah. 14,000 yeah. years. But right? a bunch of people making a tiny commitment right, right? not one person yeah not one person 100%. saying i'll do it all so yeah just a tiny part of our day can be completely transformational yeah. so allison awesome. you ready to sign up oh i've been on BCS the fence half. i've been on the fence for the half for a few okay. years i mean how can you not be ready after talking to chris Field? pumped up year 10 I mean, as soon as you read this book, it's going to be... Year 10, it's going to be a huge year. You've got a discount code for it. Yeah, man, he's ready. He's <laughs> ready, <go>. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say about all this because I just want people to listen to this and hear it and then not just... I mean, that's the big difference is like you hear things and then do you implement it? Yeah. That's when I realized there's something wrong with me. I was hearing all these things and I wasn't implementing. I wasn't going for it. I wasn't showing up. And, but when you start showing up and doing the things that you're that are resonating with you when yeah. you're hearing it or reading it, then that's when things change, right? And so I'm ready to sign up. You ready to sign up? <laughs> um, so I have a question for you. Okay. Uh, what's one activity that you've never tried before, sport, mm-hmm. activity, that you would want to try or have you thought about trying? That you would do, you could do if you could do it tomorrow. Oh gosh, that I would do tomorrow. Caught you off guard. Yeah. I. I ask all my podcast no, 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 guests this actually. Question. An activity is has to be a sport. Or it, can just, be, no, it can be sport, a hobby. Jeez. Most people have said some kind of sport. Yeah. A lot I, of people say skydiving. Don't say that. I've been skydiving. <laughs> I. Because you do it, you do something that scares you every day. So, yeah, I, mean, I try. I try. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, there's still so many things I want to, you know, that I, I mean, I have a whole list of things that I, I want to do. What's on the top of the list? We stopped it. I know. <laughs> like, I really, yeah, like, I mean, he's a Guinness Book World I don't Record sit, holder. Like, I don't yeah. sit on stuff. Like, that's, like, if I feel something, I'm just like, I work it into my life. You know, I try to work it into my life. So, so if people are wondering what that is, they got to read the book. Yeah. So, <laughs> gosh, about, for me... I mean, I, I would like to meet a sitting president at some point, or a former president. Like, I'd like to have a conversation with a sitting or former president, just because I feel like that's like, it's 
like very hard to make happen just because of the, you know, like just the logistics of that. Like it's not, you can't just say like, I want that or I'm, I'm courageous enough. Like that requires like a ton of like, have you tried? No. Okay. That's the thing. So I can like try try to start working. (laughs) You can do hard things. I am going to a, thank you. I'm going to a conference in a few weeks where George W is the uh, keynote. I mean, there's like 10,000 people at the conference, but uh, and I'm sure he has his handlers there. I doubt he's just going to be schmoozing with attendees. And I'm like, that really counts start. anyways. You know, like, I feel like it's got to be like, you got to like sit down and have a conversation, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I want to, I want to endow a scholarship. That's one of my life mm-hmm. goals that I actually talk about in the book, yeah. Lester Banks. Mm-hmm. That we, you know, we have these goals of like, oh, I want to do this big thing and, and it is like more achievable like, than we... I'll tell you a fun one. Let me tell you a fun one that I'll commit to you guys because I've been messing around with this. I'll commit to you guys. I'm going to do this before the end of the year. You're not just committing it to us. We're gonna I'm committing to everyone. I'm committing to everyone. I told my kids this summer that I had this dream. We always do a summer bucket list with our kids. It's like fun stuff we want to do in the summer. And then we just like let them pick off the thing. And so I told my kids this summer I was going to find an ice cream truck in town that somebody owned. And I was going to ask them how much all the ice cream in the truck costs. And I was assuming it was going to be like, you know, $500 or $1,000 worth of ice cream. And I was going to buy it all with the caveat that I had to go. They let me go with them in the truck that day to some low income neighborhoods in town. And we were just going to give the ice cream away. Like when the kids came or the kids were standing back because they didn't have any money. We were just going to be like, it's free today. Someone bought it all. It's a great goal. We just didn't get to it this summer. And but but so like I'm gonna commit I'm gonna find someone who owns an ice cream truck well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna carry I it. I saw out. one yesterday, Veterans Park. No, they're around. I just gotta like find this <laughs> they guy. They came they up right after soccer practice. Alright, is it at Veterans? That's where well, they're at. yesterday for the All first right. time. I've right. never seen I like that. Because it's not like the kind of thing like it's not like a phone number for ice one cream. One time we truck. finished riding our bikes right over here by uh, Spring Creek Elementary yeah. at someone's house. And it's like they followed us. Castlegate. Yeah, like, they saw you. We got like 30 miles you. on our bikes, and then they pull up with the easy target. snow cone, and we're like, yeah. Easy target. <laughs> yeah, you're an easy target. I've heard Castlegate has one that comes through, so I may ask someone who lives in Castlegate if they can snag the person's number. That one was a snow, that's yeah. one of the snow cone ones. But. All right, so I'm on it. Before the end of the year, gotcha. it's market in blood. Yeah, I'm here. Well, Chris, we got to kind of wrap it up here. It's this great. has been awesome. Any any last 30 seconds you want to add? I think I've said more than enough. Yeah, I, I want to say something. I highly recommend the book, Doing an Average of Good, and probably Disrupting for Good, too, is probably just as good. Um, so I, I, I've really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot you can take away from it. I like how you put lists of things and ask questions. It's It prompts you to write down answers. Um, and also taking things from the list of 35, I think it was at the beginning, of making small changes to... to to make a difference yeah. in your life in, in that 14 minutes a day. So, again, thank you for coming on to the this episode of the Active Texan. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, I feel like we're going to have to do a part two at some point. Uh, so many good stories. I wanted to thanks. keep going. So, Happy again. to be here. Yeah, and thanks to you guys for having me. And let's, let's be active, not just physically, but yeah. let's pursue those things that we've always wanted and never quite had the courage to do. You brought in a new aspect of the act of texting. It's yeah. not just physical. Absolutely. It's doing doing good. All right. Thanks again, Chris.